Welcome to episode two of the Come Out Heavy podcast. My name is Devin Gassoff. I'm coming at you live from the Kootenays, Region 4. I got my partner in crime with me, Curtis Gassoff. What's up today, bud? Not a lot. Just got out, went for a 12-kilometer hike today. I'm living up in the Caribou and Quenelle, and mule deer are closed right now, but whitetails are open, and basically just cruised around, checked some cameras, and got some exercise. What's going on with you? Yeah, not much. Uh, got out hunting a bit last weekend, chasing goats again, um, but this weekend, chores, that kind of stuff, and yeah, that's pretty much it for me. New update. Kind of... Had a few listener comments off our last podcast. We've only done one episode, so for those of you who listen, thanks. Uh, look forward to bringing you some more content and episodes. We're working at it. Hopefully have some patience for us. We, uh, we're working on our quality and everything, so it'll hopefully get better as we, as we move through this. little comment we got was maybe a little bit better intro into who we are, so... Kurt and I are cousins, both grew up together in Region 5 in the Caribou and have hunted together our whole lives and then as we moved into adulthood started really hunting hard and kind of got addicted to backpack hunting. So yeah, we've hunted in a few regions across the province and have had good trips and experiences, I think, in all of them. Is that kind of sum it up, Kurt? Yeah. Yeah, over the last probably 15 years when we really started getting into the mountain hunting, we've experienced quite a few different scenarios, quite a few different animals that we've hunted together. And, you know, we've starting to get quite a good experience of all around mountain hunting in Northern British Columbia. Well, and Southern British Columbia. And as well. Southern, yeah. Well, we kind of, you did some backpack trips early on without me in your, what, mid-20s, I guess? Yeah, first one, I think I was about 20, 23, 24, and then I went again around 29, around there, and then we went again this year. So three three trips yeah. up for sheep. Um, yeah, every time you learn, <laughs> learn some new stuff and stuff you need, stuff you don't need, little tricks to help you get through the grueling task of climbing the mountains. Yeah, and then we, he, Curtis, come visited me a couple times down in the Kootenays to chase elk and whatnot, and then we decided to backpack for him too. So I think that's where our journey together started as far as backpack hunting. And then we knew at some point we were going to do a northern sheep hunt. It was just inevitable based on, I don't know, just the thrill of it and the events we've been going to and people we've been hanging out with we knew we were going to get there at some point so this episode we've called and titled left off the highway and it's going to cover our 2020 northern bc stone sheep hunt so kurt and i decided early um i think it was probably around january this year before our pandemic was even a thing that <laughs> We were going to plan a stone sheep hunt for Northern BC. So this episode is going to go through right from the start to finish. We're going to talk about how we decided kind of where to go, 
gear, what type of hunt we were going to do, and what it was going to take to get it done. Does that kind of sum up what you think we're going to cover? Yeah, we uh, did lots of online scouting for different areas, stuff that was accessible. You know, I didn't really want to spend a bunch of money on getting a plane into anywhere. So I'm kind of the guy where if I can hoof it on my own two feet and maybe use a quad to get me a little bit farther into the mountains and go on foot from there. I'm definitely all about that. So yeah, we months and months of preparation and planning and kind of getting an idea where we wanted to go, looking at tons of maps and just looking at areas that looks cheapy, right? You know, there was moose were open, elk were open. There was all kinds of game we could have hunted, but our main goal was to go after stone sheep. And yeah, it was just lots of on the, on the phone with Devin and going over what, what I'm going to take, what he's going to take, the weight of everything, breaking down our food and just, there's a lot of, a lot of prep work goes into a 10 to 14 day mountain hunt. You just, you don't want to be stuck up there if you get weathered out and you're not prepared for it or, you know, something happens and you get stuck for longer than you planned. You'd just got to be ready for a little bit of everything. Yeah. So I think I wanted to touch on kind of how, I mean, I've never been, so grew up in the caribou, but never been north without counting hockey tournaments as a kid, let's say north of Prince George, even like as far as seeing environment McKenzie area. So for me, it was going to be a big, exciting new area to explore and not really know any of the terrain and I guess a little backstory into what Kurt brought to the table was he had done a moose hunt a few years prior or a year prior and had been close into the country where where sheep would live he figured I think he got to see it from afar and and get a little sense of you know where where would be a good place to start and go from there? And what I wanted to ask her is, you know, how resourceful and how good was it when you contacted a biologist from the region? Was that uh, like game changing or like that really helped? Uh, yeah, it was good. You know, they're always not going to tell you where everything is, but you know, they'll tell you yeah, that area, it holds quite a few sheep or it holds a little bit of everything in there. And, you know, they're not going to give everything away because it's not, not fair. And I, I don't know if it's legal anyways, but um, talked to a couple buddies in the outfitting business. And one guy's uh, a biologist and, you know, I would just circle areas throughout the winter and kind of just BS with them and be like, is this a good spot? Does this look like a good spot? Does this look like a good spot? And, you know, and I kind of got the same answer. Yeah, that's probably a not bad spot, you know, and, but I, when I went up there moose hunting a couple of years ago and I did see some lambs and ewes, so I knew there were sheep up in that area and we kind of were, were taking a pretty good chance just never being in there before, hoping to find sheep. And, you know, uh, when I was up there the first time, caribou were open and then they shut that down this year, which was kind of a bummer because I was, I was excited because we did see some caribou up there as well, but... Um, I just made it more, more hundred percent into just straight sheep hunting after that. But 
Yeah, so that it definitely helped, you know, picking people's ears, people in the industry, outfitters and whatnot. And, you know, got a couple of buddies that are pretty good sheep hunters. So get some intel from those guys and whatnot. And it, yeah, it paid off. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, for me, like I was, this was my first, first experience planning to do a sheep hunt. Like I said, we've done a few backpack hunts, so I definitely have had that experience as far as sleeping in the backcountry in a tent, what gear I like, what gear I don't like. But as far as that strict, possibly 10 days with backpack on, feet, um, how you prepare for that as, a, I guess, a rookie sheep hunter, I would say, is... Yeah, talking to people, Kurt was a good resource because he had been on two other ones, um, unsuccessful, but that's how sheep hunting goes. That's, you're almost expected that your first few rounds out. So um, <laughs> one thing I really liked was we attended the sheep show in Kamloops two years ago, and that really got me even more excited to try a sheep hunt before that I had only really been focusing on backpack elk hunts and that's it. So if anyone's looking at, you know, getting a little information, maybe getting a bit of excitement over it, why it's so much or so enjoyable, but so tough at the same time, I think going to those sheep shows and, and talking to those guys and the one in Kamloops, I think can go a long way. I mean, you don't have to spend all day there, but just getting out and hearing stories and interacting with people like that, that excited me. I mean, we've met some people that now I think are going to be friends for life, just going to those kind of events. What do you think? Yeah, I've been to that show in Kamloops a couple of times and, you know, you, you meet new people every time and, you know, everyone's there for a reason. They're there to support the Wild Sheep Society of BC and, you know, after a few beers, everybody's the stories start coming out, and some are bullshit and some are good. But either way, it's still a great time, and you know it's a great organization. They they do do a lot of good work in in British Columbia, so it was good. Yeah. So you already touched on and um, looking at scouting for this trip. I say we put our time in early, which was important. So we got behind our phones and our computers and found a few apps and a few tools that could really give us the lay of the land going into country that you've never been in before. You know, Kurt and I even got to the point where we were, well, even I think Kurt was more obsessive than me, but we would talk every other night about terrain. We'd send pictures of Google image shots. We'd be like, oh, this mountain looks like it could be accessible. Oh, the river looks like it's not too bad here. The one thing Kurt even got into, and, and you can touch on this after, but I really like it now, is planning out possible hiking routes based on uh, inclination, so how steep the terrain is. That was a really cool tool that I think went a long way in being confident that we can get somewhere. Yeah. Um, that app that we got was called Fat Maps. And I'm telling you, this thing, I use it every time I'm out in the bush. I got an inReach and I got a Garmin GPS and all everything else. And this fat maps, I tell you, it's it's like Google Earth Pro on your uh, laptop, but on your cell phone. 
because you know Google Earth on your cell phone is never as good as what it is on the laptop. But this app is the definition on it, the filters you can add onto it. Like it, it's it's worth paying the. I think it's thirty bucks a year or something like that. It is hundred percent worth it. I could I broke I spent every single night before bed looking at that for months and putting the different filters on, seeing the gradient of the hills, where we any flat spots where we could camp or easy passage in and out through the drainages and getting up on the ridges and you know, it saved us a lot of walking in the wrong direction and then backtracking and getting cliffed out. Like, you know, and everything that we seen looked exactly like it did on that fat bass app. So that's even I had pinpoints down for glassing spots and where we started seeing sheep was exactly where one of our pins were. So, you know, it's, it's got a cool little feature where it says 3d view and you can drop a pin on it and hit that 3d view and you can spin your phone around in a circle and it shows you exactly what it looks like to look at stuff from that spot. So and then that's, you know, I got that app idea from a buddy of mine that's an outfitter. And he said, that's all they use up in the Yukon Northwest Territories. And if it wasn't for something like that, you know, that, I don't know, they was super helpful. So hopefully some guys that are listening, they, they pick up on that. Cause I've told a few guys and they absolutely love it too. Yeah. I think it really helped with narrowing down. I mean, we probably spent two to three weeks in January, February, once we decided our day we were going to go, I think that took a little while, but even before we decided what date we were going in, we had tried to figure out, you know, which Valley we could hike up, which, which Valley would bring us into the Alpine easier than the other at the same time trying to figure out where we could glass as we were hiking in in case we couldn't get as far as we thought we'd get, you know, every day. I think that made a huge difference. Like we literally narrowed it down. There was, I don't know, six or eight valleys we were deciding on starting. And based on how the hunt went, fat maps made that choice a lot easier. And it was a good choice. Like, it gave us the confidence that that terrain we were going to be getting into where we wanted to get into relatively easy as far as backpacking goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It helped pick a spot. I think like if we didn't e-scout like that, you waste a couple days. So like for us, we, we both work full-time jobs. We both have wives and families and you know, your time spent efficiently in the bush is really important. I think, especially in a busy lifestyle like this. So having the confidence that you're not going to waste two days, one, maybe having to backtrack out of a Valley is a, it goes a long way. I think in these type of hunt situations. Yeah, definitely. Like we had, there was about five different valleys that we were planning on possibly walking down. And I had, we kind of narrowed it down to one or two and I had multiple routes through each valley, depending on how thick it was, the alder, how steep it was. And then alternate routes out, you know, instead of coming back the way you went, you could make a big loop and come back a different valley. And yeah, it's, I can't say much more than I already have said that that app, it made the difference on getting in and out and doing it efficiently. Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably 
all needs to be said about e-scouting for us. That's what we did. That's what we used. Um, we decided, actually, we had two options. We almost went the last week of August, first week of September, and then we made an audible probably about early February, maybe mid-February, to go one week earlier. So we decided to start our sheep hunt August 15th around that time. And I think it was a good call. I think we did it based on weather, based on life, just timeline. We time off with work and different things. But I think it was the right call. We didn't go for the sheep opener like a lot of guys do. But uh, we went for what we would consider like second opener, two weeks out. Usually guys plan 14 days. So um, that was kind of how we picked that date and prepared for that. What did we do based on – I focused a lot, I think, on – Physical preparation, I tried to get in shape more than I ever had this time around. Um, don't know if it's always necessary, but for me, I felt like, you know, just getting out, hiking lots, trying to drop a few LBs never hurts a guy. So thought I would put in a lot early, and I think it, it helped. It paid off. I felt good in the mountains this time. Um, yeah. Kurt, did you... You didn't quite do the same thing, but you looked good in the mountains. So, I mean, it was. <laughs> yeah, I my first time I went up, I did the same thing you did. I was out hiking all the time, working out, running, jogging. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it helped. It didn't, didn't hinder me in any way. And then the second time I did a little bit less and then I was still, you know, still kept up to the guys that work out every day. And then this one, I probably did the least amount. I. I think I threw my backpack on. Well, I, my backpack got stolen, so I was using kind of a just a no-name shitty pack. So it was hard to load a lot of weight in it because there wasn't a lot of support in it. But I think I was loading anywhere from 40 to 70 pounds in it and then just going and walking around uh, on my acreage and basically just kind of stretching legs out, getting the shoulders and the hips used to packing that kind of weight. But I, had, I didn't do very much prep. And, like, next time, I mean, I was sore, but – you know, it's, I think it's, it's a definitely probably a 60, 40 physical to mental challenge of getting up into the mountains and getting out, like keeping your head on your shoulders and knowing that you can grind through the pain and, you know, it's going to be worth it. Just if you got to get up and over that mountain or that ridge or through that alder, like it's mentally, if you can push yourself to get through there, then you're going to go a lot farther than a guy that can train every day of his life and get up there and not mentally be able to do it. So, but yeah, <laughs> I definitely should have did a little bit more, more cardio and legs though, just to more, prepare for a little it. more cardio, eh? A yeah. couple more days of cardio. Yeah. Story of my life. Yeah. Fuck whatever. Like <clears throat> that's, I think a good point. I mean, the average Joe, you don't, don't be discouraged to go on a backpack hunt. If you're not in stellar shape, just cause the, the videos on YouTube and the internet say you got to be doing this and doing that before you can go. Well, you don't, if you want to go, you'll do it. And we're both <laughs> examples of that. We don't always get in the best of shape, but we get it done because we want to get it done. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> the only other real prep we did early or I did, I think you did too, is just watched it. I watched a ton of, done a sheep hunting videos that I could find on the internet. 
read some articles about glassing and tried to learn about aging a bit and a little bit of field care. We touched on, you know, we've been on a few hunts and how much salt we were going to need to bring for any kind of trophy. Um, yeah, I did quite a bit of research. Most of my research on sheep hunting was, like I said, just watching hunting videos and trying to pick up like what these guys are doing instead of just having it on in the background. I really tried to see what they were doing with their gear and how they're setting things up, you know, based on weather conditions and what kind of gear they're using on time of year. Uh, I learned through asking questions from you and a couple of the friends we have that have done these hunts is one that I had was a big one. It was like, how much salt do you take? on a sheep hunt so that you can take care of your cape. And I think the answer ended up being two pounds a guy or one kilogram. Yeah. One kilogram of salt per guy we decided was the, the way to go there. Yeah. And then we had, we had some at the truck as well. Yeah. And the, a little extra at the quads or somewhere just in case. But yeah, it depends. Like if guys, if a guy's going to do a life size mount, well, you're going to need a lot more salt than that. Yeah, um, that's true two pounds or one kilo is probably bare minimum for a shoulder mount. Um, even that, like I put all my salt on and I put all your salt on it. That's yeah. What is so, that what we ended up doing? Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, just things like that. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've, I've done a couple hunts like sheep hunts and, and then, you know, talk to other guys, stuff that they liked, stuff that they would pack, stuff they didn't pack. And, you know, over the years, I've developed a pretty good little gear list and a food list of, you know, stuff I like taking, stuff that I'm not going to take ever again. You know, there's a lot of shit that you put in your backpack that you never use, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, in worst case scenario, if you need something and you don't got it, I'd rather pack the extra two pounds or three pounds or whatever than, than to be, you know, up a creek without a paddle kind of thing so yeah i think that's probably our mentality more than the other way where we we usually say screw it throw the little hatchet in throw the or a machete in or we throw in a couple things that yeah it could make making a fire or breaking camp a lot easier for us than those couple pounds to shave like I think that's our mentality. Not everyone's like that. Guys will shave pounds. I mean, we watch, I watch lots of videos on shaving pounds and where you can save. And every tool needs to have two purposes before you pack it into the woods. I don't know. Yeah. I'd say be comfortable more than you, or just deal with it. Yeah. I'm definitely not a minimalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd rather be comfortable than, than, yeah endeavor the suck i guess but yeah so we basically picked our date and devin drove was it nine hours up to where i live and spent the night kind of loaded the trailers we, load, we ended up deciding taking two quads and devin built a pretty kick-ass custom trailer you want to touch in on that a little bit yeah we can talk about that like i guess even going back a sec we did decide to do quadding as much as we could to get as far off the beaten path, I guess you could say. We didn't really know what the service roads were going to be like and <clears throat> how far from sheep country we were going to be if we only took a truck. So we decided two quads 
And Kurt had suggested, you know, bringing a ATV gear hauling trailer. So he had suggested the walking beam type trailers that you see out there. And I'm a steel fabricator by trade. So it only made sense that I tried to do it and build one. Um, so yeah, we, we looked at that and why we looked at quads and that side of things is because we don't have a jet boat. So we didn't have that option. And like you said before, we didn't want to pay for a flight this time. Not saying we won't do a fly in hunt one day, but just not today, not this year. So yeah, we looked at design of this trailer. We went back and forth on size and things we wanted to do with it. And in the end, I came up with something that you could pull behind your quad and it also popped up into a little sleeping quarters too. So I think that was pretty cool to prototype it out and try it out on, on its first trip. I think it was pretty successful. It made a big difference as far as, I don't know, quickness of setting up a camp and comfort those nights where we used it. So yeah, it was a bit of a journey getting it all figured out and didn't really know what kind of terrain I was going to put it through. That was probably the the biggest thing. Like I've never driven quads in that northern Muskegee type country. So prepping the quads and, and prepping the gear for, I guess, basically unknown situations. What We had an adventure. Well, I call it like three adventures before our real adventure or two adventures before our real adventure even started. We had a long truck drives. We had who knew how much ATVing before we found close enough to the valleys that we were scouting to get to. We knew we could get somewhat close. We just weren't sure how close. So I think that was pretty well how we looked at that and how we approached using our ATVs to get close to the sheep country. Um, yeah. What do you think? Uh, is there anything else you want to add to kind of prep and why we chose quads? Um, yeah, just came down to a budget. Like for me, you know, it's, so there's some guys that go fly in every year and, you know, right now with me in life, I just, I'd rather I got to put my money somewhere else other than that. But the, the quads worked great. And that trailer you built was unbelievable. Like sleeping in a tent in grizzly country is always a little bit nerve wracking for most people, (laughs) but sleeping in that trailer we had two full-grown sized men sleeping shoulder to shoulder with tons of room inside that trailer. And you should check them out. Like, uh, Devin, what's uh, your handle for that page? Yeah, you can check them out. I'm going to look at starting to sell them and, and produce them for people. I think it could really help out with a lot of our backcountry experiences in BC. So if you want to check out uh, Walking Beam Trailer Design, they're going to be for sale pretty soon. You can go to Instagram. Uh, I got a page on there just kind of highlighting what they look like and kind of what they do so far. So that's Nomad Recreation. That's the Instagram handle. And if you see what you anything you like on there, you can shoot me an email right now at nomadbc.rec at gmail.com. I can answer questions or potentially talk about building one or go down that path. I mean... I haven't started manufacturing them fully yet, but uh, would be open to suggestions or people really wanted to to see what they were all about. But yeah, it made a big difference. I mean, we 
Yeah, we relied on that thing like a lot, and we put it through its freaking paces too. So, oh yeah, I was sure happy on how it turned out. <laughs> yeah, that thing is tough, and where some of the spots we took it, ew, I don't know, it was a little hairy, but you know, it, it held together great, and you know, we slept in it three nights, and it was just, you know, made a big difference. You get a good night's sleep, and the next day is always going to be good. It's when those nights where you're hearing footsteps or hear something in the in the bush there beside you. You don't sleep too much, so um, you you rest a little easier when you know you've got some <laughs> some aluminum wrapped around you and then just a tarp. <laughs> yeah, somehow you feel a little bit safer. Why. That's all it is. It's their aluminum tub trailers, and uh, it's something different. It felt like a camper to me, and yeah, I agree. Sleeping in it was great. I mean, we. Uh, Kurt kind of started touching on what the journey took for us to put this all together. Like I said, I'm in the Kootenays, so I had my truck and gear loaded up on a Friday. I left after work, drove halfway to Quinnell. Yeah, halfway to Quinnell that night, and then got up early in the morning and met Kurt 9 a.m. or so, and we ripped the quads and the, the nomad trailer off of my <clears throat> truck trailer and put everything behind his big diesel, two quads, the nomad, all our backpack gear, one big cooler, tidy tank full of diesel, lots of fuel, chains, all that kind of everything guys take to go north in BC. And then from there, we left Saturday morning, probably around noon. Yeah, I think Set so. Yeah. The family gave everyone hugs and kept trucking. So yeah, we did. It was a pretty good day. I mean, it's a lot of travel. I know guys who will do it all in one shot. I opted to try to cut some of it down so that it wasn't a twenty-four hour drive in one day. So I think it went pretty well. But we drove the whole way to where we knew we were going to take our truck to. But we showed up there in the dark and we rolled that ATV trailer off was our play. We rolled it off the truck trailer and instead of sleeping in the cab of the trucks like you normally would, we ended up popping up the ATV trailer and sleeping in it just like a little camping trailer outside of the truck. And I think that was a great call. Oh, yeah. I've Every time I've gone north, I've spent at least one night sleeping in the front seat of the truck. And it, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't get comfortable. It's just, yeah. it's the shits either way you look at it. But even when at first when you said, oh, we should just sleep in the trailer, I was like, oh, I don't know, we'll see. And then by the time we got set up and got in there, man, I was out like a light. Like it was, you wake up refreshed and ready to go. And I knew it was, it was going to be a big day going in. And depending on the time, maybe we might even start hiking that same day. But, you know, um, is there anything else you want to touch on on the drive up? Yeah, I think one thing to add to for the listeners who haven't done a drive north, and this was a new one for me too, and, you know, we had an extra challenge. COVID happened this year, so there were times throughout prepping for this drive up north that we didn't know if we were going to get shut down or what they were going to do with hunting season. I mean, we all faced that in BC this year, but uh, Kurt had a good play. I mean, not everyone has this option, but he hauled a lot of his fuel with us. You don't realize that fuel does start to become few and far between as, as you get that much north. So I think it was a really 
people with us, you don't realize that fuel does start to become few and far between as, as you get that much north. So I think it was a really smart play for cost because you could fill up at a more convenient price and hauling a tidy tank with you was, uh, was smart just for the fact that you could just keep going and fill up on the side of the road whenever you wanted. So I thought that was a, a cool way to do that. Um, yeah, we basically wanted to limit the interactions with going into gas stations through different towns and kind of do our part with the, all the COVID bullshit. Right. So limit interaction and, you know, and it was nicer. You oh, getting low, just hit a pull out somewhere, stop, take a piss, fill up the truck and, keep on going right yeah so, no i think it was a great call yeah yeah we had a couple jerry cans too just just for extra that we stashed in the bush but yeah all in all i don't know how many liters we had but probably probably about 300 350 liters of fuel to get up there and then coming back we stopped and got fuel i can't remember where fort st john or something like that topped up or something but yeah, it was a, it was a good trip, long trip, but it was a good trip. Weather was great. Yeah, our start was couldn't ask for better weather for the start for sure. Yeah, you um, never know when you go north. Like, I've gone in September, I've gone in end of August, and one day might be twenty five degrees, and the next day might be snowing. So, we I had the truck prep for everything. I had, you know, good tires on, tire chains winches cables slings you name it man i had a whole dry big dry box full of basically getting stuck <laughs> gear so you just never know what you're gonna run into up there it's you know you're in the middle of nowhere a lot of those places so it's to be prepared is always the best best way to go about it i think yeah and then before we even get to i guess quadding in i kind of wanted to touch on <clears throat> how we dialed in a little bit of our gear throughout the summer and not going too far into our full gear list, but things like, you know, they call it mileage when you're backpack hunting or you're, you're doing these things like you're, how far are you going to go? You kind of prepare yourself mentally. And I think Kurt and I had talked about through e-scouting that we would possibly be in the 25 to 30 kilometers in as a farthest destination does that kind of ring a bell what do you think about that yeah. i think it was it was closer to 30. yeah 30. Was, once you got into the back end was yeah once you started climbing and going up and over mountains it was it was real close to 30. so if we never made it back that far thank god because that would have been uh would have been a, a poke and a half coming out with a ram but yeah that was gonna be a couple days for sure but we were in our minds we were prepared to to try to get there so like when you're thinking about that we had we figured with all the travel there and back and with all the travel depending on how the quadding was going and how the hiking went we we had planned to have 10 days of food for backpacking alone and then we had prepped a little bit of fresh food that could stay in the quad trailer with the quads and at the truck you know food and water so that when we got back if we needed a little extra pick me up we could go off that too um both of us i think took on a little bit different strategies based on 
prep as far as food. I went down the path of actually dialing in to the science of it, to even calories per ounce of food. Not saying I wouldn't have taken more, like I think I did in the end, but I was really interested and I, and I was prepping through the summer trying to, you know, do hikes with certain types of foods in my backpack and stop for lunch and see how those sat with me. You know, I had a few freeze dried meals that I tried, uh, different high calorie bars and different things there. I, I really tried to refine it to, I guess the, the most bang for your buck, the most bang for the weight you're carrying is how I looked at it. It wasn't so much like, Oh, it's so much more nutritious for you. But for me, it was like, well, I can carry, less weight and have just as much calories or nutrition. Um, so that's how I looked at it. it. There's lots of good articles online to, to figure out how many calories per ounce you look for. I mean, I think I was shooting for somewhere around, I think it was 28 calories per ounce of food is, a, is what it ended up being. So right in that range, if, if anyone was curious about that. Um, but Kurt, you dialed in a little bit differently. You kind of go more of a shoot from the hip type style <laughs> yeah i wasn't too worried about uh the calories to ounces i i basically packed a ton of junk food i had fucking crackers and cookies and fucking candy and anything that was super high calorie like those rice crispy squares anything that was super high calorie that wasn't going to be heavy so i had some cheese and i had some little mini cans of tuna were actually were pretty good on the day one <laughs> but after packing all that extra weight i was trying to eat as much as i could on the first couple of days just to, to whittle it down because i think my food was twice as heavy as what yours was but yeah i think it was or if it was like 10 pounds heavier for the same amount of time or somewhere in that range eight eight pounds heavier maybe yeah, the same, same I, was, I was close to 30 when i did my first first way out and then i started of food. 30 pounds of food. Okay. Yeah. So then I started, I'm like, wow, that's super heavy. And like, so I started like kind of refining it down and, you know, like a bag of trail mix high in calories. It weighs quite a bit, but that's good calories. Yeah. I was trying to keep all the good real food in and try to cut out some of the junk food. But of course, the junk food's always the lightest stuff. So I, I did do a little bit of weight, and, but. I definitely didn't dive into the science behind it like you did, but it's, I don't know. It's sometimes having some candy and something to chew on some sugars. It'll, it'll keep you going. Sometimes <laughs> your body will pay for it probably after day eight or day nine. But. Yeah. I think I only ended up being, which I, we never got, we never ended up being in there for 10 days, but I think my food in the end weighed about 17 pounds, I would say in total. And I, and I had planned for 10 days. So what that kind of looks like for us, we both, for consistency between the two of us, we're looking at a freeze-dried meal for dinner every night um, is typically what we both do. So any type of freeze-dried meal. We both usually have oatmeal for breakfast or a bar, depending, and our instant coffees in the mornings. So we kind of just which is pretty, pretty common in backpack hunting. Um, 
both had bars, trail mix, that kind of stuff. So it just depended on what we really dove into. And, and we'll probably go into a more in-depth gear list slash food list. I think maybe in a later episode, we might do a gear dump for you guys based on our, our 2020 sheep hunt. We more or less just want to kind of go over what we kind of did. And, and, and we're going to talk about the hunt here pretty quick. We're just going to kind of lead up to it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, we might post our pictures of kind of what we had in our backpack every year. I kind of start with the same template every time I plan a trip. And then if there's something that I didn't use or I didn't like packing, I'll scratch it off the list. And every year a few things get taken off and a few new things get added. So we can uh, try to get those posted on the Instagram here and, and uh, just kind of see, see the difference, what, what some people pack, what some people don't. And, you know, hit us up with your comments and let us know what, what you guys like to pack. If there's something on our list that we should have, let us know. And, vice versa but so to do let's uh let's get into our hunt yeah i mean so like we said we slept at the truck on the first night we drove up there stayed in the trailer and got up in the morning with no panic like there's no we we didn't set an alarm we just slept got up when the sun let you know told us to get up and didn't really panic and checked off all the lists and you know got everything good i don't think we got away on any road or trail until probably mid-morning i would say even nine o'clock yeah really wanted to take our time make sure everything was dialed in and we didn't forget anything (laughs) yeah one thing to add too is you know when we rolled into the road that we were planning on starting from there was 12 vehicles parked there when we rolled in the night before and yeah, last seeing my vehicles, yeah. Oh, choked. You get up there and you're like, "Fuck me!" There's fucking pile of hunters in here. So I mean, whatever. Like, well, I I doubt they're gonna walk where we're planning on walking. So I was pretty grumpy for the first day there, seeing all those vehicles there. I was pretty choked, but you know, lo and behold, we ran into a bunch of them on the road, and they were just ATVers just quadding around. So. We got lucky, but yeah, it's not the way you want to start a, a 10 to 14 day hunt is just to see vehicles everywhere. It's pretty shitty. Yeah. But, and I think that happens everywhere. And, you know, you just, you can't get too discouraged. It's, you're going to get discouraged. You're definitely going to have a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth and attitude. You always hope, I think everyone who heads into the woods always hopes that they can just be by themselves and, and just go upon their their time you know with the people they wanted to but yeah like you said we kept pushing on we weren't going to change our decision based on that and it turned out good for us it uh there was no one where we headed in the end so that that was lucky yeah um we got lucky that first day it was well it was like we said august 15th or 16th we were heading in and the weather was clear it was actually really warm so you know clothes kind of we packed enough in case there was snow, we'd keep that at the quads. But going in, we were riding in with T-shirts on, basically. And I think that first day, it got to, you know, 24 degrees out, 25 degrees. And yeah. cruised, cruised in, scouting roads, trying to find access into the valleys that we were looking for. Doing a bit of glassing here and there, but you couldn't really see into the country we wanted to 
to get into. The quads, as all equipment usually does in the backcountry, gave us a little bit of grief. We had a bit of an experience to go through besides getting the Nomad trailer wedged in between some logs in Muskeg um, and then actually damaging it a little bit, getting her out of there. But uh, my quad ended up, I think we got too much mud on the radiator or in one of the coolers and it just was going into limp mode about what, 30 kilometers into our journey. Yeah. Cruising through the bush. <laughs> yeah, that was, you, you never want to have trouble like that, especially when you're in the back country, but I ended up hooking onto the trailer and pulling it the rest of the way. And Devin's uh, quad started cooling down and started running normal. So thank God for that. And, you know, we made it in there good and everything was running good when we got there. So that's the <laughs> most important thing, I guess. Yeah. It didn't have to turn around. Yeah. Yeah. And the day went a little bit longer than we had hoped for. So we rolled into a spot where we decided that valley was going to be the one we were going to head up. So we camped kind of at the head of that valley, I guess you could say, and still had daylight, which was nice. But, you know, we had like an hour and a half of daylight left. So it wasn't enough that we could get our backpacks together and start heading up. So we made the play that night to, you know, have a good meal. What We ended up having fresh meal, I thought. We kept we brought some steaks in or something that night yeah yeah we had uh i think we had some t-bones or something like that yeah i think or maybe elk did we have your elk from last year we had i don't know we had steak yeah, night yeah. so we had a nice fresh meal uh slept in the nomad that night got one more good real good rest and got up in the morning and kind of compacted camp and locked everything in the trailer locked the quads up you know locked our hitches anything that could be ex easily taken off we kind of tried to you know keep it safe so it was there when we got back because could it be 10 days before we seen these quads again yeah you, you never know <laughs> come back and your trailer's gone or your quads gone and then you're hooped right yeah um yeah, I got up the next morning. The sky was clear, so we lucked out. Didn't have any rain come in yet. So started pushing in on day one after a good sleep. Uh, pretty good terrain to start walking in. It was mossy, not a lot of underbrush at the start. Pretty open timber, which was nice. Yeah. Made our way, I don't know, two kilometers before we started kind of cresting out of the heavier timber and starting to move into a little bit more scattered trees you'd say yeah we were kind of hitting that kind of knee-high alder and uh, scrub brush whatever they call that and then kind of in and out patches of timber but it, we kind of took our time through that because we could glass across the valley to the other side and you know if if we seen rams on the other side then you didn't want to get up to the top of the mountain before you decided you had to drop back down so we just took our time, glassed the whole way up, and, you know, we didn't cover a lot of kilometers the first day, but we, we kind of had an idea where we wanted to get to, and, you know, it was no race. We covered a lot of area with our binoculars, and, yeah, just took our time slow and steady and stretched the legs out, and 
you know, stop, have a snack, set up the spotter and look all up and down the valleys. And then, yeah, that first, the first fuck time we set up the spotter, the fuck did I get the rude awakening of the bugs of Northern BC? <laughs> oh yeah. My God. Like, I'm not complaining. I knew they were going to be bad. I mean, I grew up in region five, but I had never been to region seven and holy <laughs> beep. The Kurt said, bring bug spray. I was like, I'm not packing bug spray. He's like, bring bug spray. And a man, am I glad that you told me to bring bug spray? That was like lifesaver. <laughs> like, there's your, there's your not counting uh, weight in your packs is bug spray. It doesn't, it is like, you bring it, you put it in. <laughs> yeah. Like after the first probably five hours, he just stopped swatting them. They just fuck it. Let them suck the blood out of you. Cause there's no way you're stopping those suckers from, from getting you. Actually, one thing on day one, too, uh, we even decided to, Kurt and I like to know what we carry for weight. It doesn't really matter, but we do always like to kind of know. So we ended up weighing our packs at camp. And I think I remember, I didn't write it down, but I think off the top of my head, we were in the 80 to 85 pound range, maybe 75 to 85 pounds. Does that sound about right? So I think I was 86. 86 yeah i think i was a little bit lighter but it was like 83 or something maybe yeah by the time i put my bladder in with water um uh, i was at 86 so yeah that's a haul that's that's probably the heaviest i've ever gone up but well in one play we haven't talked about is we had planned on getting to what looked like a fairly wide river at some point in our journey whether it was day two or day one depending on you know, the country we saw and what we decided to do, we ended up packing in an inflatable, what? No. <laughs> um, just something to be prepared so we could float our gear across or anything if we hit a river, that's all. Um, but it was pretty heavy. I think the heaviest we've been in going into a backpack. Yeah. I think. I don't think we've been heavier than that. No, that's... That is the heaviest one I've ever gone up with, but you know, having having the raft and everything else there, it's you never know. You just don't want to get to a river, and it might look not that deep, but if, you know, we had lots of rain where I was at, and everything was flooding all year. So I was planning for the worst, and you know, if we didn't need it, we didn't need it. So I think too, to touch on, we packed. For water, we both filled our bladders up, and I think we might have had, like, what, three liters each going in on day one, expecting to hit some water? Yeah, yeah, I didn't have everything filled right up. I think I had my bladder hold three liters, and that was filled right up, and I didn't take any Nalgene's, like, didn't fill any Nalgene's up, thinking that, oh, there'd be some creeks along the way. (laughs) That was a a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, we got all the way up, what, we got up to the Alpine, kind of the top of the ridge, say, 3.30 in the afternoon, 4 o'clock maybe? Probably 4. It was starting to get later. So, yeah, we got up there after, the, actually, the I thought the worst part of our first day hike was once we got out of the timber, there was probably about an hour to an hour and a half of hip high kind of alpine brush that we had to wade through that was probably the worst for us was that part yeah and then there was lots of holes and 
yeah, hummocky angled up and shit, but yeah. But then once we seemed to hit elevation, we found it got pretty grassy and that was nice. Yeah. Once you hit that alpine, it's just like walking on a lawn, right? Yeah. And that was good. Yeah. But I was going up the whole time we stopped in glass and stopped in glass and we weren't seeing any game. I mean, it was pretty hot. It, it hit at least 25, 26 that day. And there was a bit of a breeze, but not too bad. But I was basically down to my Tiburon shirt and just all the vents open, just sweating. And, you know, you're pounding water. And by the time we got up and kind of found a spot to camp, I think I had half a liter of water left in my bladder. And then I think you had about a liter or something left, didn't you? Yeah, I think between the two of us, we might have had two liters left altogether maybe like you said it might have been less yeah so every creek that we seen was bone dry and i was like fuck i guess I guess we're not having a mountain house because we needed that water for the hike tomorrow or the sorry the next day and uh so we're like kate well we're eating granola bars and fucking cheese for dinner tonight so we started glassing kind of conserved our water set up camp you know, got comfy and kind of glassed down one valley, hopped over to the other side and glass. And, you know, we're looking way down. You could see there was a creek at the very, very bottom of the valley that looked like a decent sized creek, but all the draws and shoots that were coming up off of that main were just dry. So we're kind of stressed. I don't know. It was probably 930. It was before, just before dark. I don't know if it was well yeah i guess it could get dark late then yeah you're right i was thinking different times yeah yeah we were still glassing yeah and uh just happened to look down and i could see it, it sure looked really green kind of right on the edge of the a uh, little bit of a plateau we were on i'm like the fuck i hope there, there might be some water in there and you could see the water at the very bottom of the valley right so we walk over there drop down probably i don't know 150 feet 200 feet sure shit there's a spring coming out of this hillside <laughs> that just turned everything right around we were so fucking pumped for that oh i was at that dry mouth stage i mean i can feel it now just talking about it like we were like so wanting to drink the last two liters we had and finding that water i, I mean, it was only one day it guys have gone through way worse like i'm not saying like we were in any kind of dehydration panic but man that was good like yeah we hit we pounded some protein we drank probably two liters each and filled up for that night and i think just knowing that you're gonna have a nice hot meal too after a, a long day of hiking to start off with was just like lifts your spirits it's amazing what a little bit of water in the backcountry can do to just lift the guy's spirits back up oh yeah was, <laughs> i just was like oh man we're gonna be dehydrated by tomorrow and fuck we have to drop down to the bottom of the valley and it was just going to be day one would have made it kind of be a shit show so i'd loaded everything up with water like preparing for <laughs> what i should have done right from the get-go but yeah i would drink i think i probably drank a liter and a half of water right there and then filled everything yeah, well, yeah. Had a little wash you know wash the hair out wash the mustache out yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah. good um yeah. yeah that made that night awesome back to camp had a hot meal yeah. didn't see anything though that first day not an animal so heading to bed not discouraged we had lots of hope there's a lot of country to 
go and see on the on the next day so we had a, we only got into like our first bowl like of yeah lots so. yeah it was we were just getting into the good country basically and um uh, yeah went went to bed and you know with a full belly and hydrated and woke up i think i had uh i had one of those freeze-dried breakfasts that one morning yeah yeah i think so and i i was gonna make a comment on our first night i think that was like my best night of sleep in the backcountry that i've had yeah that one and just because like long day just tired but i don't know good camp spot weather was perfect no wind nothing it was just i slept really well that night yeah yeah i felt pretty energized in the morning so yeah and anyways we wake up in the morning and get out of out of bed and in my underwear and go to take a piss and I look over and I could see two fucking caribou running down a hillside across from us. <laughs> yeah. So I run around trying to get my binos and spotter out and just, well, I weren't, they were so far away. I didn't know if they were caribou or what, but I get to see two yeah. dark things running down this mountain. So the time we got up, I was still in my Crocs and underwear and got everything set up. And yeah, it was, it was two cow caribou just like zigzagging frantically down the mountain. I didn't know if they were getting chased by wolves or what, but never did see anything chasing them. But it was a good you know, they were just day moving. too, though. Yeah, and then we hung around camp for probably two hours, picked over every ridge that was around camp. We didn't want to leave any stone unturned, so we glassed for, I think, two hours. I think it was, you know, probably till about nine o'clock. And we saw five goats, five mountain goats, way over across. So, yeah, it's nice to see something. We knew we were in country with no sheep yet, but found something. Went back to camp. Started to get a little windy up top, and we did notice that there were some storms brewing in the distance. It didn't look like they were going to affect us too much, but uh, yeah, we didn't uh, waste too much time after we, you know, didn't turn up any sheep, and we were just going to pack everything up and start walking the ridge towards our next destination we had a few on our on our fat map app picked out to go to and that, that's where basically what we did yeah we loaded up camp climbed up the the ridge to the what would it be to the east i guess and uh we were just gonna kind of ridge run it down and stop and stop and kind of glass all the way through and yeah, that cloud started getting darker and darker, and the wind kind of picked up a little bit more. And we're right on this knife edge too, and it was looked like it was about to get a little hairy. And we just kind of, as we got right to the end of that knife ridge, just stopped here and kind of glassed and got out of the wind a little bit. And I don't know, it wasn't a couple of minutes before I turned up a bunch of rams. Yeah, I think we were glassing for five, yeah. maybe like barely got the tripod set basically like i think i just put my binos on my tripod yeah i didn't even have the spotter out yet i was just looking through the binos and and we probably walked half a kilometer from camp yep yep maybe a little more but you know 750 yards but or meters but uh yeah kurt seen well you seen two yep. way off of the distance and then you picked up five closer we ended up seeing seven in total right from that spot from that spot the first two were in the back valley and then the 
as I was looking at those two, I'm like, oh, there's got to be more around. So I kind of just started doing circles around those two rams, doing circles, circles. And as I kind of drew down into the, the drainage we were in, boom, there's five rams bedded right at the base of some rocks in our drainage. <laughs> so Yeah, probably a kilometer away maybe. Yeah, 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 it, well, at least that. Maybe yeah, maybe more. So and so as we glass these rams up, the storm hits, and it starts blowing and lightning and thunder and hailing and we're like fuck, let's get off. We're right at the very knife tip of the ridge there, so we started dropping down, kind of trying to stay out of uh, eyesight of those rams. So we dropped off the backside, ended up. It was not bad. Got on a couple. I don't know if they were sheep trails or goat trails, but kind of picked our way through that alder and got into the subalpine um, spruce and kind of kind of stayed out of eyesight of them. And then when we kind of figured that we had a good visual, we popped up just inside the tree line and set everything up. And we ended up being, I think, about 800 yards from them and set up the spotter and it just started fucking pouring on us. Oh, yeah like lightning. And that lightning that lightning was close yeah it like it hit right where we were at like it shook my body like it fucking was 10 feet away like it was well we felt like it hit where we were standing on the top of the ridge yeah so we were good good play to get down and, and it, we were moving towards a vantage of these these rams anyways to get a better look at them so at that point we didn't know we knew enough that they were worth a look we had no idea whether there was anything legal or anything worth pursuing, but uh, yeah, got down into the subalpine and then we hunkered for, I don't know, put the spotting scope away when that rain came in. We probably only had to put our rain gear on for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It really poured for. Yeah. Yeah. We basically just hid underneath a big spruce tree and, and waited it out. <clears throat> yeah. So had lunch. I think we had some lunch while we were waiting. Yep. Yeah. So storm blew over and the sun kind of picked up and, you know, it was still kind of gusting wind a little bit up that drainage, but we ended up getting the spotter out, getting everything nice and settled. And we watched those rams for, I don't know, probably three hours, something like that, just kind of dead straight across from us. And they just, you know, they'd get up, feed, lay back down, kind of right at the base of the rocks in that black sand and, you know, we're sitting there looking at them and you could see that three of them were real close to being full curl. And then there was, there ended up being five rams in that group. And one was just, he just dwarfed the other ones. You could just tell he was just a big old bruiser. He broomed off both sides. And, uh, yeah, he just, he made all those other rams just look like babies. He was just strutting around, did whatever he wanted. You know, so we basically focused most of our time looking at him and, you know, aging him pretty good. Figured he was, we could count eight for sure, probably nine. Just And from where he was broomed off, he's broomed off pretty far back. So we're like, well, we might as well make a play on him and get closer because, like, that was obviously way too far to to get a good age on him and to be able to make a good shot on him as well. So. Well, yeah, we were, what did we figure, 
850 maybe 900 yards at that time or was it even farther no it was around eight i think 800 yeah 800 when we were doing kind of like our second stage glassing of them and really getting a look yeah so it it actually where we were at it worked pretty good there was a little finger ridge that kind of wrapped around and kind of went right out into the middle of that drainage and those rams were right across from it so we kind of dropped down they kind of could see us but we we're far enough away that i don't think they could really pick us out of the trees in the alder so we ended up dropping down and kind of going through a little bit of a gnarly cliffed out side hill which is a little couldn't go down couldn't go up had to go sideways kind of shit show yeah and one point we should say is that when we decided to move to this finger ridge and get closer we knew that if this went down and we were going to take a shot or get close to them enough to know he was legal we were probably going to end up staying the night in the valley below so we ended up dropping all 40 percent, maybe 50 percent of our gear up on this spot and pinned it with our gps's so what we ended up doing was taking a silt tarp enough warm clothes no sleeping bags no tent just enough food and water for that night knowing that there was water in the bottom creek and our hunting gear so our optics and our rifles so everything else we just left in some dry bags and tucked it underneath some trees and went in lighter so we you know whatever this stock was going to be we were only going to have 30 pounds on our back or something so yeah yeah we it was it all depend on how it went right like if we really wanted to push it we probably could have got back to the tent but seeing as how it cliffy it was right below us it, i i'm not into climbing cliffs in the dark so we opted on you know if 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 it does happen and we do get one down we're probably just gonna sleep in the creek bottom for the night so we were we were prepared to do that once we if we had to make a call there so anyways we dropped down side hill through some rocks and alder and that finger ridge was real nice because it looped right back around into that valley and we kind of peeked right through and you could kind of see where the the edge was where every time it opened up so we poke out yep kate rams are still there go back in go down a little bit more poke out again yep rams are still there so we ended up getting dead straight across from them almost i think we had a little bit of elevation on them but not a lot but we were right on what was it 450 i think or something like that yeah i think it was pretty much bang we just called it 450 in the end i don't think it was enough to worry one way or the other and it was sub 500 so not too far of a shot for um kurt kurt was going to be the shooter if the ram ended up being legal and really there was no other play in that particular valley they had that spot that they picked that was the only accessible finger that we would be able to put any distance on them so yeah um and i yeah our range goes to 540 yards so go out all the time, plank away and shoot the guns. I got a Huskamaw scope on my gun, so I've got the diable turret. So I I definitely felt comfortable shooting anything out to 500 yards all day long. So basically at that point there, once we got into that distance, it was just kind of 
make a nice little shooting pad and we sat there and glassed and glassed. Yeah, we definitely confirmed his age. He was definitely legal. You know, we Yeah, but that took we what another time. Two hours. Yeah, yeah, another two hours. So we probably didn't decide as a team. You know, we, we looked at him for yeah, like I said, another two hours. We probably stared at this ram for four hours in that day. And it took us as a team to say, yeah, he is legal. We see the rings, both of us, phone scopes, spotting scope, everything. So it, it was quite the experience there just to, and, you know, luckily we didn't have to rush it either. They stayed there for us and you got to get yourself set up really comfortable to try to make that shot. And I was able to spot with you really nicely. So it turned out good there. Yeah. Having that phone scope definitely paid itself off on that trip like we took videos and pictures of them and then you could go back and rewind it and look and freeze frame it and you know from every single angle that he looked up down left right you know and you're like yeah okay and okay that's eight for sure eight for sure eight for sure eight for sure okay he's legal so then once we definitely were confirmed he was legal we brushed out a little area where i could get lay down prone with a bipod and we had all the time in the world. They weren't going anywhere. So we just kind of set up, took our time, made sure we had the uh, the spotter on them, had the gun nice and leveled. Everything was kind of, yeah, it all worked out pretty good, actually. Where we were at was nice little sniper's ridge to get down, get right up on top of them. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, big shout-out to uh, Precision Optics as well because – Ended up getting a pretty good deal on that spotting scope there, a Swarovski um, 20 by 60 by 80. And that thing, I tell you, that glass is pretty amazing. If you guys are ever in the, in the market for looking for some binos or they even got all kinds of high-end rifles, scopes, you name it, they got everything. And, you know, check them out on Instagram and Facebook at Precision Optics. Uh, any questions, give Omer and Mike a call. These guys are great. They're very knowledgeable and they got the best deals basically anywhere so yeah hit them up they're they'll go out of their way to 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 make you feel comfortable and give you the best price they possibly can so on that note i think we're gonna uh end this episode right before the action starts and we'll uh we'll have to pick up on uh left off the highway episode two uh probably next week or a couple weeks from now running a little bit long here but yeah don't miss the next one it, we go into uh, <laughs> a little bit of a sleepless night sleeping in the creek bottom but yeah things got interesting so definitely uh give us a like give us a follow if you guys uh, like what we're doing give us some comments if you uh want us to touch on anything or if you're interested in anything you got anything else to add to that dev yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, part one in the books, you know, kind of prepped you right to the right to the end there. And the, ne the next half, part two, is going to be exciting. So uh, stay tuned. And, yeah, look us up, the episode three. So hunt hard and come out heavy. Yeah. Later. Peace. Yeah.
top shoes sitting in a bag of class I was just like you Always left out, never fit in on a night path You're walking in, missed and misunderstood Missed and misunderstood Your buddies get their rocks off on top 40 ready hope to love your daddy's final Time rockin' roll, Elm Sky Stettle, Ray Wiley, Hubbard, and Thank Jeff Tweet. It's one bad mother, Mr. Misunderstood. Mr. Misunderstood. One day you lead the charge, you lead the band, get your hero with lightning hands. Girls like your tattoos, and the veins in your arms, they'll be helpless too. 